When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today I am chatting with Alana Robinson. Alana is a parenting coach and registered early childhood educator. She supports parents of children two to six years old with understanding why their children misbehave and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. In today's episode, we chat about the importance of outdoor play and independent play. Learning about the research that supports outdoor play has been a huge passion of mine over the past year, and this was a fascinating discussion. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Good morning, Alana. How are you? Yeah, how are you? I'm good. We're really excited to have you on today. So, so excited. Very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So my obsession with doing more research and reading and listening with regards to outdoor play, free play started about a year and a half, two years ago. I mean, my kids have always been outside, but I didn't really know the significance that it had. I think because I was also just brought up this way. So I didn't, it it didn't really occur to me like this is really necessary for kids. I just grew up with it. So this is what I was doing with my children. And so I started reading uh, No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And have you read that book? I haven't, but I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah. I mean, you you basically preach all of these things in the book. It's going to be nothing new to you. But I read that book and it was extremely eye-opening. And I just became, you know, like more adamant when it was like rainy and cold and, you know, getting the kids outside, obviously based in Canada, you know, you have to bundle your kids up and get them ready to go out because it's, you know, obviously cold there a lot. So I think we should start, if you don't mind, on the topic of just the benefits of the outdoors for children and even maybe touching on, I know some people that aren't necessarily in an area that allows for a lot of uh, nature play mm-hmm. because they live in you know, the city. What are some things they can do as far as exposing their kids to the outdoors. Absolutely. So the thing about the outdoors is that in nature, it's a perfectly balanced sensory environment. There isn't too much or too little input. The input that you do get is constant, but it's very gentle and it's generally very calming to our nervous system. And I think right now, especially kids spend so much time being overstimulated and being engaged with that is something Mm -hmm. that I'm constantly hearing like, well, how do we engage them? And there's some real benefit in terms of learning to self-regulate to being outdoors with no expectations, having the freedom to explore and, and being bored, right? Boredom is so 
important. It is so necessary for that learning to self-regulate and learning how to calm our nervous system down. And a lot of kids just don't get that opportunity right now. And so outside is just, it's the perfect environment for us to play in because there's nothing that's too demanding on our system. There's nothing that's causing us to to be hyper aroused or to feel icky. For a lot of kids, like a lot of my clients will say this too, where, you know, my standard boilerplate advice is if you can't figure it out, get them outside. Just get them outside because often when you take them outside, all of that sensory input that is contributing to the dysregulation just falls away. And usually with after a few minutes of being outside, most kids will calm down really, really quickly. So just in terms of, you know, learning to keep your body calm, it's really, really yeah. important. And then, of course, yeah. there's all the benefits of exercise and all of that sensory input, all of that heavy work that our body needs to develop our vestibular system and our proprioceptive system. It's mm. You can't quite replicate it indoors. You just can't. <laughs> and I forget where it was, but there was a study that came out not too long ago about the benefits of spinning. Yes. Yes. I was just talking about this the other day. Yes. And how like, because children, one, spinning inside is generally dangerous because there are things to bump into. And, but also there's not a whole lot of feedback when you're spinning inside because there's generally inside is quite sterile. Like there's not a whole lot of visual feedback. There's not a whole lot of proprioceptive feedback. But when you go outside, you not only get those benefits from the spinning, and I believe the result was that children who spin for like a very short amount of time, it was two, I think it's two yeah, minutes, two minutes yeah. that can keep them regulated or increase their regulation for something like two hours. Yeah. Like their concentration yeah. levels. Yeah. And yeah. so when you think about it from that perspective, when you go outside and like you're spinning on a swing, which frustrates me because a lot of schools have banned things like spinning the swing up and then letting it rip. Yeah. Or spinning until you're so dizzy that you fall down. Yeah. Rolling down a hill. Like all of these things that are very, very necessary for our body to learn where it is in space and to feel safe. And that's really the thing, right? Like if we don't feel safe because we're spending so much energy trying to figure out where our body is and what's coming towards us and what's going away from us, then we don't have the energy to use our higher skills, our executive functioning skills, which are responsible for all of our civilized behavior. So when it comes to, you know, kids who are having behavioral issues or kids who are really struggling in school or daycare or preschool, often just increasing their time outside mm-hmm. will reduce those issues dramatically. So it's it's really just, it's as simple as it's important for our bodies to develop appropriately. Yeah. 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 And I love that you touched on, so this is what we've been doing with our kids is the second, you know, the kids start fighting, mm-hmm. it's outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> they'll start, you know, fighting over a toy in the playroom. I'm like, Oh, it looks like it's time to lace up our shoes. <laughs> and then they go outside and then they, I, I'm not kidding. I mean, they completely forget about what they were even fighting about and they found something else to do outside. Absolutely, It's like the ultimate 
it's like the best quote unquote timeout really oh, totally. because and I'm right. Like, my neighbor laughs because she can hear me from her kitchen. And she's like, I always know that you've reached the end of the rope because you can hear you go. All right, that's it outside. Get out. Yep. yep get up. <laughs> and she's like, and they go. And I was like, well, yeah. they actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And one of the other things too, that I found really interesting that you don't necessarily think about is nearsightedness or myopia Mm -hmm. is really, really becoming a problem. I think they say like at least half of like all of the, you know, children in America are suffering from nearsightedness Mm -hmm. and it's a direct result of most likely not spending enough time outside, which is so wild. Look at anything in the distance. Your eyes don't develop the ability to look at anything in the distance. Yeah. You're just inside looking at wall to wall or a screen or, you know, so I, yeah, I think that that's just yeah. such a huge benefit of being outdoors, obviously. And so going back to your original question about what people who are in urban centers oh, do, yes, yes. I, I always say like, find your local park, largish park, not like your little end of the road playground, but like, mm-hmm. you know, your, your big urban park with the trees and make a date a couple times a week to go there and just hang out. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can bring your work if you want to let your kids run around, bring a lunch. I love to take my kids when we lived in Edmonton and we were in a much more urban setting. I love to, you know, go to McDonald's or go to Wendy's. Didn't have to make it complicated, grab some lunch and just go hang out at the park and have dinner or lunch there while the kids played. And it was, it was lovely. They got to be outside. They got to experience that kind of balancing effect that nature has. We still got to eat our dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was, it was just a nice, really nice break. Most cities that I've lived in, I mean, I've lived in Toronto, I've lived in Ottawa. They have these really beautiful outdoor spaces. You just have to go to them <laughs> and make mm-hmm. it a priority yeah. to be in them. So using those urban outdoor spaces is really an amazing way. And again, if you're going for your kids to have that balancing effect, bring your laptop. Most of the urban parks now have Wi-Fi coverage. So you can actually work at a picnic table. You don't have to be engaging with your kids outdoors necessarily. They just need to be out there. (laughs) Right. Now, I know this is kind of a, not a confusing topic, but a topic that most, some people don't think about and it's free play. And can mm-hmm. you just give us an, a, a brief description of what free play actually is? So free play is play that is not directed by, initiated by, or imposed upon by adults. So in its purest form, you say, go play, kids go play. For most kids nowadays, you have to schedule it because I know most of the families that I work with, they're insanely busy. Their kids are in a million different activities. And so blocking off time for free play is actually necessary. It takes children an average of an hour to get into free play, which I think is something that is surprising to a lot of parents because most parents will say to me, oh, well, you know, I told them to go play. And after five minutes, they came and told me they were bored. (laughs) Well, yes, it takes a while to initiate it. So I usually say schedule at least two hours for free play if you can. But the important part is that they're initiating it. They're coming up with the ideas. They're running the plot. They're coming up with everything. 
Yeah. And we're not sticking our noses in and derailing it. Now, Alana, tell us why this is so important for us not to be saying, hey, I put together this, you know, obstacle course for you outside. First, you're going to do this. First, you're going to do that. First. And it kind of laying out the entire groundwork of, of how they can play outside versus, like you said, free play, where they literally come up with everything from start to finish. Free play is the most efficient and effective way to build executive functioning skills. Full stop. We use our executive functioning skills to do absolutely everything. And the problem that a lot of parents that I talk with have is that most children nowadays don't get a chance to practice using their executive functioning skills until it's do or die. They're on stage. Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking at them. There is something hanging on Mm. their ability to use their organization skills, use their impulse control, use their emotional control, plan and prioritize, use their working memory, all of those really important skills that we use to do literally everything. And we really, the best way to build those skills is to practice them. And when -hmm. children are playing freely, they get to practice them. They Mm -hmm. get to try to use them, fail epically, and then recover (laughs) and try it again. And so, you know, they have to, if they're playing by themselves, they have to use their imagination to come up with something to do or to use their creativity to start engaging with loose parts, sticks, things that aren't what they are going to use them for, right? Using that representation skill. They have to, you know, plan and prioritize, okay, what am I going to do first, second, third? What do I need to do that? Do I need a shovel? Do I need a stick? Do I need to find some leaves to act as my salad? Like, what am I going to do in order to carry out the plot that I now have in my head? So that's Mm -hmm. organization skills. That's planning and prioritizing skills. They have to use their working memory because they have to remember what the plot was and then they have to build upon it. So every single skill that we use daily shows up in independent play. If you throw a peer in there or a sibling in there, well, now you're also working on social skills. They have to negotiate. Mm -hmm. They have to resolve conflict. They have to, you know, submit their ideas and hear what other people have to say about those ideas and alter those ideas so that everybody's happy with them. They have Mm. to practice sharing. They have to practice turn-taking. Like there's just so many, what most people would call soft skills (laughs) involved Mm -hmm. in free play. And the really important part is that failure to use those skills and then try them again anyways. And children just don't get that opportunity in real life, like when they're engaging with adults to do that, if they mess up, well, then there's a consequence, an immediate consequence, and they can't figure out, they generally don't have the space to figure out how to solve that problem on their own. Whereas when they're free playing, well, they mess up, nobody noticed, okay, well, let's try this a different way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it really works on those flexible thinking skills too, those set shifting skills when, you know, you're playing by yourself and you're really into your game and then, hey, your best friend shows up and okay, well, now I either have to incorporate them into the game or I have to let go of the game and move on to a new game. That's set shifting. That's something that I'm constantly hearing parents say, you know, they don't listen unless I get right in their face or I yell or I freak out at them. Well, that's a set shifting deficit. That's an inability to be like, somebody's talking to me. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and listen to them. That's a mental process that has to happen. And so 
it's just, it solves so many problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so significant. And it's such a simple solution because I think, I think some of the guilt around free play comes from parents where we feel like we have to constantly be engaging with them. We constantly have to be quote unquote enriching them to teach them something. And so letting them play by themselves feels lazy because we're not doing it. (laughs) Right. So it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of trust to just be like, nope, you're going to go and you're going to play. And it's okay if you just lay in the grass and stare at the clouds for the next hour. Yeah. So I know that everybody listening right now, this is what they're thinking in their head. Okay. My children are not going to want to do this. They're going to say, I don't want to go outside or what am I going to do? I'm so bored already. So what are the starting tips that you have for somebody who wants to start incorporating free play into their children's lives? How can they do this? How do they start introducing it? To their children. So I usually recommend grabbing something called a time timer, which is a visual timer. And when you set it, the there's color that appears. So as the time goes, the color gets smaller. And that really works with young children's natural tendency to conflate size and quantity. They think bigger is better, right? So this, it, when there's more time, the color is large, the whole clock is colored. And as the time goes away, the time, the color reduces. So it makes that abstract concept of time very concrete for them. And start with just 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, sit down, get them involved in something that you know, they enjoy. Don't start with like a new game they've never seen before. (laughs) Get them involved in Lego, get them involved in, you know, swinging on a swing, get them involved in building with some blocks or some sticks. And then excuse yourself. Say, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to be right back. Or I'm going to go answer the door. I'm going to be right back. Or, oh, you know what? I need to text grandma what we're going to have for dinner. So I'm going to be right back. And set the timer for 10 minutes and say, I'll be back in 10. And then leave and let them be upset. We're so scared of children expressing their emotions. And it's scary. But objectively, as an adult, we know they're not in danger. It's not like we're locking them in a dungeon with nothing to do. Like they're in their play space with toys and they're safe. But they've never been on their own before. They've never had to figure out what to do before. It's hard. (laughs) It's difficult. Of course, they're going to have big emotions about it. So the important thing is really to not be scared of those big emotions, accept those big emotions, and go take your 10 minutes, go to the bathroom, go make yourself a cup of coffee, take some deep breaths. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then when the timer beeps, come back. And what this is going to do is it's going to build your child's trust in that timer. Once they have that trust in that timer, then you can start lengthening out the times. You can do, mm-hmm. hey, great, we, you played by yourself for 10 minutes. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you, even if they didn't play. doesn't matter what they're actually doing. That's one thing. Parents get really hung up on what their kids are doing. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Play doesn't have to look playful all the time. Kids can, as I said, lie on the grass and stare at the clouds. And they're making up a story in their heads about the clouds. That's play. It doesn't have to look active and busy. So don't worry about what they're doing. If they sit and cry, that's fine. Praise them. Great. You play by yourself for 10 minutes. It's awesome. 
keep playing with them again. And you can do that with alternating, you know, five minutes of playing with mom and then mom goes for 10 minutes and you come back as many times as you want. And then once you're starting to be able to get that 10 minutes without anybody freaking out, then move it up to 20, then move it up to 30, then move it up to 40. And before you know it, you're going to have an hour of time in your schedule where you can say, okay, it's time to play. Here's Mm. the hour and do it with the beep on. For at first, I always leave the timer alarm on when I'm teaching children because I want them to trust the timer and I want them to trust me. When the beep comes, mom comes back. I'm done. And then once they're like you're noticing that they're not really done playing when the timer's over, but they're finishing because the timer is done, turn the beep off. And you can just be like, okay, great, here's your hour. Leave the alarm off. And what you'll notice is that sometimes they'll play for three, four hours before they notice yeah. that the timer has finished. <laughs> yeah. And you've just gained three hours to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> to clean the house. <laughs> yes. The thing is the timer frees them up from monitoring you because kids, they don't want to be forgotten. They don't want, right? And again, this is new and different. They're not used to being left alone to their own devices. And so it's scary. So they're constantly feeling like they have to come back and be like, hey, remember me? Am I still having to do, am I, okay, am I good? And if they have the timer and they know that you're not coming back, you're not going to start engaging with them again until that timer is done and that a beep will let them know when that time is, that frees them up from monitoring you. They're not spending all of their energy. They're not hamstringing their play state by monitoring you. They're like, okay, that thing is taking care of reminding mom when to come get me. So now I can fully immerse myself in my play without worrying about what mom's up to. And that's when they get into that deep state of play, into that flow, then that's when you get those two, three, four hour stretches of free play where they don't want to come out of it. And even if they see you, they're like, hey, cool, I'm still busy. (laughs) Yeah. So is this the same method you use for getting them outside? Yes. I usually, I find outside easier because you can put the timer in a window and they don't have access to it. If you're doing it inside, you have to put the timer somewhere where they can see it, but they can't access it, which can sometimes be a little bit difficult, especially if you have a climber. But with outside, I usually put the timer in a window that they can see. They can come and look at it. They can't access it. They can't change the time. And it works. It's very effective. (laughs) Once we make those abstract concepts concrete and we free them up from monitoring us, it's amazing how quickly kids will get into free play. Yeah. So is there like a suggested amount of time that you recommend children receive of free play per week? So the general recommendation, and I know everybody's going to freak out when I say this, but the general recommendation is that children should be playing by themselves for eight hours a day. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's mouth just dropped. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> what? For maximum benefit, they should be playing solo, preferably outside, for eight hours a day. That's not achievable for most families. So I, I say try aim for an hour. Aim for an hour a day. And the great thing is that for most families – When children start to drop their nap, that is the prime time to insert an hour of free play into your schedule because they're used to that routine of you going away for an hour. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. once they start dropping their nap, replace it with free play time in your yard or on your balcony 
or in their back room. And then if it's going well, expand it to two hours. <laughs> yeah. And is this kind of the time that you would say to introduce free play is at that age, like what, two, three? I really recommend introducing free play from birth, <laughs> which yeah. for an infant, it's going to look very different, right? With For an infant, allowing them to play freely is putting them in their playpen or on a blanket on the floor and you're reading a book on the couch while they're yes. staring at the ceiling fan or they're, they're practicing rolling over. So that's what free play looks like for an infant. For a young toddler, for like a year old to 18 month old, that's going to be like, okay, you're playing in your playroom while I'm doing dishes in the kitchen and I can still see you. Or you're playing in the yard and I've got a plate glass window and I can see you out there <laughs> completely. You're safe. You're in a fenced yard. And so you're out there fiddling around. I can see you. I'm paying attention to you, but I'm not in the same space as you. It's that illusion of risk. And then as they get older, you can kind of expand their boundaries a little bit more. You can stop having to sit immediately at the window and watch them. You can, you know, go to the bathroom and yeah. you can be working on your laptop inside. I find the earlier we start free play, the less resistance there is to it because that's just what you do. Right. And when most families that I work with, when they start to introduce free play at three, four, well, the child already has that expectation that being accompanied equals safety. And so they do, they are genuinely scared of being alone because it's never happened to them before and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, the earlier you introduce it, your child has longer to experience that they are safe by themselves, and therefore there's less resistance to it. You're just going to change the format a bit as they get older. Yeah. And, you know, we have this, it's like this play yard. It's it's pretty big too. And it just kind of like squishes together and mm -hmm. it, it's com it's compact. We just put it into the garage and we use it outside for our, she'll be 11 months next week. We'll throw it outside. I'll put some toys in there and it has, you know, a, a mat on the bottom. So yeah. like she can't, she's very, you know, into the grass, into putting acorns in her mouth, you know, obviously yeah. choking hazard. So this is necessary. And I'll put a bunch of her toys that she's safe to play with by herself. And the other kids will be playing on the playground and I just go inside and cook my dinner. I can see everybody. I can hear everybody from where I am. And even my 11 month old is out there yeah. safe, you know, in this little area that I can see. And it took a little while. And what we did was we just put her in there and the kids, I would, I would tell my oldest who's seven, I would say, you know, make sure that she can see you and occasionally come over and play, get her engaged into one of the toys and, you know, sure enough, like after a couple of weeks, you're like, okay, like this is something we do when, when, you know, mom cooks dinner or, or what have you. And she's just used to me not being out there. And occasionally she'll make a little peep and, you know, my daughter will just like run over and be like, you're okay, Maggie, you know, yeah. and then she'll run back over. But I know some people might have some questions on how to like incorporate that outside. And that's just what we've personally done that, that has definitely worked. Yeah. But what are some other things? I know um, there was a question that came through. How can I start incorporating nature or outdoors to my infant? Mm. Is there anything that you have for suggestions as far as that goes? I think when it comes to infants, we tend to overcomplicate things. 
something. Yeah. <laughs> we forget that because it's old news to us, it is not old news to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're babies. Mm-hmm. Everything is novel. So really, like, just put her on the grass. Put them outside and let them experience all the different textures. I mean, you're generally with babies, if they're in the grass and they're exploring, you want to be fairly close to them because as you said, there are choking hazards. There is lots of things that they want to put in their mouth. And a lot of the things that you're going to find on the ground outside are not mouthable. But, (laughs) you know, giving them that space to explore and only interject when you actually have to. And so like, instead of being like, look at this acorn, look at this pine cone. Hey, look at the trees. Like, shut up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And only intervene if you actually have to, because it's a safety issue. Like that's Mm -hmm. a really easy way to start them off on free play outside at a very, very young age. I love what you said about putting her in her playpen outside. I used to put a dry inflatable pool outside while Mm. I was doing yard work Yeah, because he wasn't big enough that he could climb out of the inflatable pool yet mm-hmm. it had nice soft edges so my both of my kids are somewhat clumsy um so it was okay if he took a header into it it was no big deal it had a grant a base to it too so that again there was no choking hazards but he was just outside and he could lay there and he would he would lay there under maple trees and just stare at the leaves for hours so cute. <laughs> and like, he just, he loved it. And we've, you know, we live fairly rurally now. So my, with my youngest, I remember taking him outside when he was like newborn baby. And I was so excited because my oldest didn't sleep as a newborn, like ever. And this one did. <laughs> so I was constantly taking him outside and I just like put him in the bottom of a laundry basket while I was working or watching my older one play. And he was just sleeping in nature. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> So, so amazing. It's it, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't get so wrapped up in the activities. Everything is new to a baby. Let them experience it. Yeah. Now, let's chat a little bit about the fear that some parents have when it comes to leaving their children outdoors unsupervised mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm in the kitchen, but they don't realize I'm there because really the whole point is that they don't realize that you're there. Why are parents so afraid of allowing their kids to do this? There's been a lot of fear mongering about children. And there is a study that came out not too long ago, but not extremely recently about how other people perceive danger based on the morality of the situation. So the study discussed a mother who needed to leave her child alone. And, but every person that they talked to, they gave a different reason for why the mother had to leave the child alone. Mm. And so the idea was they, they tested people on, you know, like, is it, okay to leave your kid alone if you know you want to go meet up with a lover versus there's been an emergency and you need to go and you know deal with the emergency or mm-hmm. stuff like that and what they found was that even if everything else was the same the entirety of the circumstance was identical people would judge that there was a higher risk for situations where they didn't agree with the morality of the reason that the mother had left the child. So 
that I think is in huge play there. We have this perception that it's more dangerous now than it was in the past, which statistically is untrue in all of North America, Canada, and the United States. We hear a lot more like because we have access to the internet and we have all this false news floating around, stories get blown up and taken out of context. And, you know, not to get too political, but there's overreach of the police. Like there's just so many things that people are scared of because we don't know our neighbors very well anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't have that relationship with the people around us. And we judge mothers so harshly. And because of that, there's this perception that leaving children alone is dangerous. It's statistically untrue. There's also, there was a study that happened in the 60s um, by Marion Diamond, where she was working with rats, and she was a female researcher in the 60s, so she was pretty rare in and of herself. And she was testing rats to see how play affected their brain development. Oh, I think I read about this somewhere. Oh, this was interesting. And so she was doing this study and what she found was that the more that the rats had playful experiences, the bigger their neocortex got, the thicker it got, which meant they would have greater capacity for cognition. So this got taken really out of context because she was a female researcher in the 60s and she was being made fun of because she was the girl that played with rats. So she changed the word play to enrichment. And I don't think she could have predicted the fallout effect that that would have. Mm. Nobody's heard of this study. Like nobody that I've ever spoken to about this has ever like actually read the study, but everybody knows that the more enriched an environment is, the smarter you get. Mm -hmm. And so we have this false idea in our heads that if we're not constantly engaging with our children and enriching their environment, and by enrichment, generally we need academics, then our kids are going to be stupid. Yeah. So there's this fear of judgment. There's the fear of if I'm not constantly actively engaging and enriching my child's environment, they're going to be dumb. And then people are going to blame me for being lazy, endangering my child, and my child's going to be stupid. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this shame and false information around it that has just permeated North American culture. And I mean, it's the fear is real. We were talking briefly before about like my neighbor coming and knocking on my door and being like, hey, did you know that your son's alone in the backyard? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and I was kind of waiting to see what her reaction was going to be. Oh my gosh. Alana, tell, my us, tell us that book that you had recommended to me really briefly. Oh, I know that we yeah. mentioned it before this. Small Animals by Kim Brooks. Yes. Well, we'll link it in the show notes too, but tell us a little brief synopsis of it again. So Kim Brooks is an American mother and her book, Small Animals, is about her experience with, um, she left her son briefly in her car while she ran into a gas station to grab some earbuds before boarding a flight. And somebody filmed her and called the cops. And she didn't actually get caught by the cops until she was back home. in another state. Can you imagine? And like, what on earth? The cops showed up at her mother's house because she had been driving her mother's car. And so, and it led to, I forget exactly how long the legal battle was, but it was close to a decade 
of trying to prove that she hadn't been neglecting her son when she ran into the the grass station for two minutes. And so we're, we're scared of the hypervigilance of strangers and the judgment Mm -hmm. of strangers. And again, that morality, like if the stranger thinks that I'm being lazy, they're going to judge the danger as higher than it actually is. Mm -hmm. So we can't trust our risk, risk assessment, right? Yeah. So it's, it is, it's scary. I think the most important thing is when you're going to start sending your kids outside without you, talk to your neighbors about it. Go mm-hmm. over, get to know them, say, hi, this is my name. These are my kids. This is my phone number. I just want to let you know that my kids are going to be playing out in the yard by themselves. If you ever see something that is scary or that you think that they're not behaving well, please give me a call. Because statistically, it's been shown that we judge strangers more harshly than people we know. It's very, very hard to call the cops on somebody whose name you can put to their face and whose number you have in your pocket versus it's much easier to call the cops on somebody you don't know. Mm -hmm. So get to know your neighbors. And I know it's awkward. (laughs) Yeah, it's really awkward. But if this is important to you and you want to start implementing this with your kids, it's necessary. And most, most adults are happy. They're like, Hey, nice to meet you. When we first moved in, my son was only 18 months when we moved into our first, our current house. And so I went to my neighbors and I was like, Hey, here's my name. Here's my number. If you ever see anything that you think needs my attention, please give me a call. And then my number just kind of made the rounds of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now, even though my kids are playing more far afield these days, because they're much older now, they... I still get texts from people and I'm like, Hey, how did you get my number? And these are people that I, we live in a military community. So we have quite a bit of turnover. Neighbors are leaving my number for their new owners. And there's even like a note saying, Hey, so if you see these kids, they're fine. Here's their mom's number. (laughs) Yeah. That's so, so I'm getting texts from people I've never actually met before being like, Hey, so I just saw your seven-year-old bite it on his bike. He's crying do you want me to go out and help him or just bring him home? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, let me know where he is and I'll come get him. <laughs> Thank that's, you. So it, that's so great. Though. That building of community is really, really important. And yeah, you can do that whether you live in a small town or you live in a big city in an apartment building, right? Getting to know your neighbors is really, really important for the safety of our kids. And you do mm-hmm. want to know if your kids are doing something dangerous that you didn't see. Yeah. And you want to know who your neighbors are. Yes. This is where your kids are playing. You know, like I could not have been blessed with a with a better neighborhood. We enjoy all of our neighbors. We hang out frequently. We're always going on walks, saying hello. And I'll never forget this past uh, fall. My middle, she's she's five. My husband and I, we were out in the yard. Baby's up napping. So our other three kids are all outside as usual, doing whatever they're doing. I don't know honestly what they're doing, but I'm blowing leaves, and my husband's doing something else. Right. So all of a sudden I get, I, my phone keeps ringing. My phone keeps ringing. So I'm like, oh gosh, what's going on? And you know, I, I've got the leaf blower on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm like, all right, this must be important. So I shut it off. I answer and I'm like, hello. And it's my neighbor. And she's like, um, I think Eliora just walked by. <laughs> and mind you, this is like way down my street. Okay. And she's five. We don't let her wander the neighborhood alone yet. Right. So I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. And then uh, sure enough, I get another text from the next neighbor, like the next house. Um, I think I just saw Eliora. 
I'm like, what? So I'm like, okay, if you're outside, do you mind just going to going and making sure she doesn't go any further? Cause we, we have a busier street, yeah. like, you know, down the way. And I didn't want her to like get to that point before I could get to her. Cause at this point she was pretty far away. Yeah. Like I could have ran, but she, I, she would have got to the street faster than I could have ran to get her. So she's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. So she goes and she, she's like, I didn't want to scare her. So I just like, you know, kind of walked behind her. Oh, where are you going? You know, like, what, What's happened? Do you want to come maybe back up this way? Meet your mom, you know? And sure enough, she, she had seen somebody walk by that she thought was my husband, her dad. Aww. Like she, and so she had seen him walk by and she thought my son was on, he was giving somebody a piggyback ride, but I think it was just somebody that, that was visiting mm-hmm. like another neighbor. And so she was like, Oh, I'm going to go see what he's doing. And then just like ran after him and then must've realized it wasn't him. And then was just like wandering around. <laughs> But it's just such a good example of like every house that she got to, a new neighbor would like call or text me and be like, do you know she's gone? <laughs> I think she's, I don't know where she's heading. She looks like she has like a destination in place. <laughs> like, oh my God. But yeah, I mean, it, and it is scary. I think at first to just say, okay, I'm going to let them all play outside unsupervised. I mean, it's definitely something that's you know, a scary thing, but I think it's helped my kids significantly because I am the type of mom having worked in, you know, I work in an emergency department. Mm -hmm. We see all the absolute terrible scenarios of everything. So that's constantly where my brain is at. And it's a disservice to them because whenever they do something like climb a tree or balance on something, I'm constantly like, Oh no, don't do that. Oh, be careful. Be careful. And it's like the worst possible thing that you could do when a child is like trying to learn things right absolutely and it's those instances when we're like I'm uncomfortable so I'm going to stop you from what you're doing it really makes them not trust the information their body is giving them about their surroundings like there's so much information about how the more small risks children take the less bigger risks they take Mm. it actually makes them safer to allow them to take those minor risks and as you said, there's, you probably see t- so many horrific things, but mm-hmm. what's the worst that's going to happen if they fall off the swing? Right. right? Like, well, the thing is, you know, one out of, um, you know, like a hundred thousand kids will get hurt. Not, that's not an actual statistic, but it's relatively mm-hmm. like one in a hundred thousand is going to break an arm and then the rest are going to get up and they're going to brush it off and they're going to go back on the swing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm, of course, the person that's like, I'm the hoverer, right? And I know that about myself. So giving my kids the unsupervised play is absolutely necessary for like them not to hear me going down their backs every two seconds. Absolutely. Like, be careful, watch out, and do this. And they're like, oh, turkey. Yeah. Like, you can go out and check on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think when people hear like unsupervised play, they're like, oh no, I can't go in the backyard and they're just going to have a full hour with no eyes on them. <laughs> No, you can look out the window. You can go out in the back and lay eyes on them. I have like a sing-songy recall that I do with my kids that just go, Logan, where are you? And whether we're at a public park in our own backyard, at the beach, anywhere, he if he hears that, he'll go, here, so that I can be like, okay, he's over there. <laughs> you can go out and check on them. You can go out and let them know that you're there and be like, hey, just checking in. Cool. You good? Awesome. And go back to yeah. what you were doing. Um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, like if you're just introducing it, like you could, I mean, for weeks and however yeah. long you feel comfortable, you could just be staring out the window. <laughs> like, just 
they don't even necessarily know that you're there, you know, unless you're telling them that you're doing that. But exactly. It's that illusion of risk. Yeah. And I think I was listening to you on a different podcast about how you use spray paint or was it? Yes. So to kind of like mark the boundaries, because, you know, some of us don't live on a quiet street. We might live on like a busier road. And do you want to just briefly touch on that? Like how you kind of mark off the areas that are, you know, quote unquote, safe for them to stay in? When I was first teaching my son's boundaries, obviously boundaries are difficult for young kids because they tend to be abstract. And so we don't live on a busy street, but our front yard does front onto a relatively busy street. There are cars that come mm-hmm. down it more than a couple times an hour. And our yard is fenced, but our backyard is fenced, but the fence is fairly short. It's only about four feet high. And mm-hmm. my two monkeys learned how to climb over that like by the time they were two and a half. So <laughs> putting them in the fenced yard isn't necessarily containing them in the fenced yard. Yeah. So I had to teach them where the boundaries were because both of my children are somewhat extroverted and they would be like, hey, I saw Mr. Brown four houses down and I'm going to go say hi. Yeah. So I used just that fluorescent orange paint that they use to mark gas lines. And I taught them that we don't cross orange lines. And so I, we have ditches. So I sprayed painted right down the middle of the ditch. So it's, mm-hmm. it's only really visible if you're looking in the ditch. Yeah. doesn't affect our aesthetic. I spray painted <laughs> down either side of our property line and I spray painted like where they could kind of go around the property line to get to our side door. And it's, it's I mean, spray paint goes away when you mow the lawn. So it's, it's not permanent. I always reinforced when I was teaching them to stay in our yard, we don't cross orange lines. So oh. if I was seeing them and they were playing like on the other side of the ditch, I'd stick my head out the window and be like, what side of the orange line are you on? And Mm -hmm. that would force them to look and go, oops, and put themselves back on the correct side of the orange line. And I keep, I also keep electrical tape in my purse, that's orange. And we still use that. Like there's seven and four now, but if we're in public and I need to keep them in an area, I just put some electrical tape on the ground and I go, we don't cross orange lines. What is she doing over there? (laughs) (laughs) And so they, they know it doesn't matter where an orange line is. They don't cross orange lines without permission. And we have a a cottage that we go to, a family cottage, has full waterfront. Before they could swim, I was out there immediately when we got there, spray painting orange lines along the waterfront. We don't cross orange lines without an adult. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, it's just a standard in our family. And it made it very easy for them to know where their boundaries are and aren't. And it made it very easy for me to correct them when they crossed their boundary because there was no oh, well, you know, I'm still in the tree line. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just walking onto the neighbor's property to get to the side door. No, no, no. There's an orange line. You're either on the right side or the wrong side of it. Yeah. And so kids don't do well with those abstract boundaries, which is why the time timer works so well. Anytime that mm-hmm. I see an opportunity to make an abstract boundary concrete, I take it. All right. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to just pull up some of these questions from the community because we are, yeah, I mean, we've been talking now for almost 50 minutes. I didn't realize that (laughs) when we're talking about this topic, it just kind of like goes by so fast. So let's touch on a couple of these if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. And this 
is something we briefly talked about, but I, I think we should touch on it again because it's important. So Nicole's asked how to battle fear of child trafficking and abduction when wanting to give children freedom. So, and we briefly discussed this yeah. where, where, you know, you were discussing that it's, it's actually safer yeah. in today's world than it was, you know, in the 60s, 70s. And I think definitely this little mini computer that we have in our, in our back pocket yeah. <laughs> that we look at way too frequently is always giving us uh, all the bad news everywhere about everything. And, you know, back in the day, you found out about things through the newspaper or, you know, you like on the six o'clock news. Yes. Right. We're getting yes. information from Texas, different and, countries yeah, and like everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. And then we're applying it to our local context. If yes. you look at the statistics and in Canada, I always say, go look at the statistics, Canada website. Statistically, we have like quartered the number of child abductions in North America from mm-hmm. the 50s, 60s, 70s. It was not safer back then. Yeah. Children had far more freedom. They were far less surveilled. And there was a lot of people that were able to avoid tracking. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. We didn't have the systems we now have in place to, to like, I was talking to my dad the other day and he found his driver's license from when he got it in the sixties. And it was just a piece of cardboard. <laughs> like, yeah. There was, there wasn't an identification number on it or anything. It was just a piece yeah. of cardboard with his name and, yeah. you know, government of Quebec. So it was very easy to get away with a lot of things back then that yeah. we can't now because we have tracking built in everywhere. So if you're really, really worried, go look at your local statistics And make decisions Mm -hmm. based off of what is actually happening in your area and what is actually, like what the actual risk is, not the perceived risk. The other thing is, low jack your kids. Like if you're scared of of somebody taking your child, we have personal GPSs now. They're very affordable. I think mine costs $10 a month to run. Do you have a relay? I don't have a relay. They're not available in Canada. I was actually oh. testing them for them. I oh my gosh, to. I love it. And they were it planning on expanding to Canada before COVID. And so they had sent <sighs> me some to test and it worked amazing. I loved it. And then COVID hit and they canceled their expansion plans. Oh, so I'm darn. so upset. I use a ping for my son right now. And unfortunately, I think they've gone out of business. But there's a there's the geo bit. There's, there's a whole bunch of personal GPSs. And mm-hmm. they'll give you, most personal GPSs have like a, a radius of 20 meters accuracy. And it's so helpful. Like yeah. my older son, he's seven. He He's a runner. He likes to do 5K runs with his dad. But when his dad's not here, because he's in the military, he'll go on his own. And so he knows his route. We've my, His husband has trained him on his route, but he still brings a GPS with him so that yeah. I can, you know, you know where he I'm is. like, okay, it's been 20 minutes. Where the hell is he? Oh, okay. He's just around the corner. He's probably talking to our neighbor. Yeah. So, and I've all, I put it in my kids' backpacks when they go to school. Even when my son was in junior kindergarten, he got put on the wrong bus and he, his school is a small rural elementary school. So kids get picked up from that school and then the buses go to the high schools and kids get transferred around to the buses that they're actually going to their own communities in. So yeah. when he got put on the wrong bus, he ended up on a bus that was going in the opposite direction by an hour. And oh my gosh, we, you know, I was waiting for him at his bus stop, bus showed up, 
no kid. And I was like, uh, where's my child? And she was like, he didn't get on the bus. And I was like, shoot. So I went and looked up his GPS. I realized he was going in the wrong direction, called the bus company. Oh and they were like, oh, okay, it's going to take us a couple minutes to figure out what bus he's on. And I was like, what bus is going down Murphy Road towards Barry's Bay? And they were like, uh, what? Bus 305. And I was like, he's on that bus. And they were like, how do you know that? And I was like, because he's low jacked. And <laughs> so I was able to find him very, very quickly. I look at it, you know, a couple times a day, if just normally, but they're very affordable. They give us such yeah. peace of mind and they take them. Yeah. No and things. they give the freedom. And you yeah. can put them in their pocket. I use um, a hard tag like you would use to, or like stores use to prevent theft. Yeah. I attach it to them, to their shorts in their pocket with a hard tag. The benefit of that is if somebody did take them and walked them into a store, all the alarms would go off because of mm -hmm. that hard tag. So it's, you know, you can use tools. You don't have to just blindly trust. You can use the tools that we have available to us to keep your kids safe. And we have so many of them. Put cameras in your backyard if you're worried about not being able to watch them. We live in a side mm -hmm. split and all of our bedrooms are at the back of the house so we can't see our backyard. Yeah. So I don't, I don't actually have visibility in my backyard. I have one mm -hmm. tiny little window and I have to go into my boy's bedroom to look out of it. So I have cameras back there and we have an echo show that all of the cameras show on so I can go and I can check on them and they don't have to know that I'm looking at them. I can see them. I'm just compensated for the fact that I don't have a window. Yeah. Use your tools. Use your tools. Yes. Love it. All right. Let's do one more. So this one says we live in Texas where it can be a hundred degrees mm. plus much of the summer. Is it safe to be outside in the heat? What are some activities that the kids can do? Um, you know, obviously she wants to incorporate outdoor play, but of course, you know, it can be difficult when oh, it's that hot out. Totally. What are your suggestions? My suggestions would be the same as my suggestions to Canadians who are living in areas where it gets to be minus 40 much of the mm -hmm. winter. Do it in bursts. You don't mm -hmm. have to do a full hour outside. You don't have to do a full two hours outside. Send them out for 30 minutes, bring them in. Have water available to them, whether that and water to drink, but also water to cool off in. Run mm -hmm. a sprinkler if you can, or yeah, give them a kiddie pool that they can, you know, kiddie pools you have to be careful with because make sure that your children are old enough that they can stand up if they fall in. You're not going to mm -hmm. do this with infants, but yeah. shallow kiddie pool that they can splash in. Make sure that, you know, they have ways to cool down. Put fans outside. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I've, even in Canadian summers, which don't get nearly that hot, we run fans outside. They get rid of mosquitoes and they give some air movement so that it's not feeling as hot as it is. Make sure that they have access to shade. Those big um, sails that you can get, that you can like string yeah. up in trees or on your house so that yeah. there's somewhere that shade is provided are worth their weight in gold, beach umbrellas. Like you don't have to make it complicated. And then, yeah, say, okay, you're going to go outside and play for half an hour and then you're going to come in and cool off. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to have some great. popsicles and, you know, we're going to give you a cold cloth to wipe your head down with, go hang out and chill for a bit. But then you're going to go back outside and play again for half an hour in a mm -hmm. couple of hours. Also, you don't have to do this at the height of noon. Like when right. it's the hottest, right? Send them right. outside early in the morning or in the Yeah, evening. kids are up early. Send them out, right? Yeah. I my kids, yeah. now that we have no more snow, my kids were waiting for because we get so much snow here that 
in the winter, we can't open our back door. It's just, oh my gosh, just too much of it. So they were waiting to, to get to the point where they could open the back door <laughs> so that they could go yeah. and access the backyard. And as soon as they did, they're up at like 530 in the morning. I am not a morning person. <laughs> And so they get themselves up that my husband's a morning person, he gives them breakfast, and then they go outside and they play outside until I wake up. Yeah. And so it's, you know, they they go out in the morning, and it does it gets really hot at noon, you don't want them necessarily outside playing at, you know, noon, 1pm, 2pm in the afternoon, because it's just too freaking hot. Yeah. So yeah. use use your morning hours, use your evening hours, kids love playing outside in the evening gives them some sense of like, like they're breaking the rules, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. kids, they, they want and it's just glorious. Yeah. They just, they don't want to be outside all day. And then like 5 PM hits and they're out there. <laughs> I can't get them to come in for dinner. Like they're like, no, no, I'm good. That's the best. That's the best. And I remember that so vividly about my childhood where yeah. I, well, first of all, just spent, I mean, everything that I can remember from my childhood was outside. Like yeah. just building forts, catching caterpillars, climbing trees, doing all sorts of imaginary play. And my parents would, and I was an only child. So I, you know, didn't have like built in uh, playmates, which is great for my kids because they have that, but I didn't have that. And so I was just lit- quite literally wandering the neighborhood looking for people to hang out with. Yeah. And my mom would, you know, of course, back then we didn't have the technology and she would just literally open the front door and say, okay, time to eat, you know, time to eat. And I'd be like, no, not right now. Like I never wanted to come home to eat, you know? And now my kids are like, snack, snack, snack. <laughs> I'm like, you know, back in the day, we just wander the neighborhood until, you know, yeah. they will come home eventually because they need to eat. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, we love it. I, most of the time now, the last two nights, um, my husband's away right now. And so the last two nights I've been like, okay, time for dinner. And they've been like, no, I'm like, fine. Here's your mac and cheese on the back porch. <laughs> Mama's going to go have a glass of wine and eat in silence. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, that's like a nice little gift there yeah. for you. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you two last questions. These are questions I ask all of my podcast guests, and it doesn't need to be related to what we talked about today. So if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be? Keep it simple, stupid. Don't love it. Overcomplicate it. If kids are yeah. doing something naturally, it's usually because it serves a function. And whether that's behaviorally or playfully or anything else, if kids are naturally doing something, they're doing it for a reason. And so the easiest thing to do is to figure out what that reason is. And then if it's unacceptable or inappropriate, give them a new way to achieve that goal. And if you can, just let them do it. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. The second thing is if you could make dinner for your entire family that everybody would eat and it's Mm. rather quick and simple, what would it be? I make this instant pot tortellini, which is my favorite because every single one of the ingredients can be frozen. So I just keep them in my freezer and it takes literally 20 minutes to throw together and cook. It's all in one pot and it's got all the food groups you know, we usually get meat filled tortellini that's frozen. So it's just staying in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got peas in it. It's got like an Alfredo sauce that you kind of make on it. It's got bacon. So it's got more meat and it's just quick and easy. It's dump in the pot and yes. everybody eats it. 
Yeah. I love that. I know right now I'm like trying to gather all these instant pot and crock pot recipes for when we renovate our kitchen. Oh yeah. And yeah. So I might have to add that to my list. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Alana, for taking time out of your day to hang out with us and educate us more on the subject of outdoor play and free play. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.